1: KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. Thank you, Eris. For our guest today, uh, we'd like to welcome Ken Lowney, architect and founder of Lowney Architecture, a multidisciplinary practice headquartered in Oakland, California. They offer architectural design, interior design, and landscape architectural services. They've... uh, They're quite engaged with clients and projects in the commercial, civic, academic, and housing sectors. Lowney is considered one of the fastest growing practices in the East Bay and ranks among the San Francisco Business Times top firms in Northern California. For more information, feel free to visit their website at lowneyarc.com. That's L-O-W-N-E-Y, arc.com. Hey, Ken, thanks for being on our show. Really honored and excited to have you. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, Glad to be here super fun. (laughs) It will
1: be. Ken, we'd like to start our show off with a couple things. One is if there is a funny experience that you may have had, whether it's personally, or professionally, that you're at liberty to share with uh, your audience today, or if you have a kind of a quote or a prayer or a mantra that kind of guides you, again, personally or professionally, it doesn't have to be, of course, an exact quote, or you don't have to reference anybody, but just something that just kind of carries you through the day or, you know, especially in these times throughout these times
2: yeah a funny moment you know i i'm less involved with day-to-day project details but i used to work in new york city i was doing i used to do a lot of editing studios mm-hmm. for audio or video oh. production and i recall a contractor called me up one day and saying ken i think we have a problem with this room that we're, we're building I so what is he, he as well there's no light switch. I said, well, it's, how are you working in the room? If there's, is there a light on? He goes, "Yep, yeah, that's the problem. So we have the lights are in, all the sheetrock is up, but there's no light switch. So what they had done is <laughs> they somehow wired it on permanently, sealed the walls, and uh, kind of, I, they were calling to ask me where the light switch w- should go, which you know generally they go in the same place in most Cute. rooms. But it was a funny, and, and I believe I, I did not a show lights, which maybe I did on the, on the drawings, but it was a humorous interlude. It like it. It's like, how the heck did that happen? But as far as a quote, I am uh, an admirer of uh, Emerson, ah. Ralph Waddle Emerson. And I just love his writing style, you know, sort of short pithy sentences and uh, all of his philosophy. And almost you could probably almost open any of his essays and just pick a sentence and it would be something remarkable and interesting and worthy of living by. But one thing that sticks out in my mind is, um, what is it, only little minds, what is it, I've forgotten it, A a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. And uh, I like that because it's a reminder. First of all, I like the word hobgoblin. It's nearing uh, Halloween. It's a 19th century word. But also the idea that, you know, rationality and and sticking to things that have been done before, proven, uh, it makes sense. Most of the time it makes sense. But it's always good to remain open and curious to what's in front of us and uh, not be foolishly consistent. And uh, it seems like if we've learned anything this year, the year of catastrophe is, the upside of that is anything is possible. Who would've thought we would've all been working remotely? Who would've thought that, you know, we've had this pandemic and recession and, you know, protests and, you know, uh, such a divisive political climate all coming together. And this fires in California, you know, including the sun didn't come out, you know, September 9th, on Wednesday, the sun did, was biblical, right? The, no sun, no birds. So it's just sort of like anything anything is possible. So these big grand plans of how do we imagine affordable housing in California? How do we, you know, imagine better education? All these, the big gnarly problems that are kind of too big to take on unless so something us to a new way of thinking this is that's the one silver lining to this is hey, we can take this opportunity to do some serious reconsidering of how we've been living.
1: Excellent. Well said. On that the topics are double topics of being open and curious, how is that affect or impact or a part of your company's culture?
2: Well part of it is just the necessity of staying in business, right? And so you can either be headed and and say that we're only going to do this one thing, or you can be more open and omnivorous and eat a little bit of that and a little bit of this. And I know there's some very successful firms that you know have succeeded by being disciplined on what they will do and what they won't do, and that's great. We're not like that. We, I mean, we're not going to do jails. We're not going to do hospitals. But we'll, we'll you know anything that we can we can professionally wrap our arms around, we'll definitely take on. And that has led us to two big things. One, vertical grocery stores, you know, infill retail development. We park on top of a store, park underneath, and create some sort of public space. These are, you know, 30 to $100 million projects. And we just kind of rolled into this by doing, I don't know how we rolled into it, we, by being open. We just we sort of Pulled a thread, and the end of this thread was this whole practice area, but it took a couple years to build up. Ah, It was a Whole Foods in Oakland. That's what the first project was. And I got that project on a a cold call. I was cold calling people trying to get to work, and some guy said, wow, that's amazing. I happen to be an architect to design this project, which was converting a uh, 19th century power station, which had been converted into an auto showroom, into a Whole Foods. So it's the Whole Foods by Lake Merritt. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's a pretty Very cool nice. project. So that just led on a whole trajectory of, you know, reimagining and, and, and catalyzing all these downtowns around the Bay Area and across the country that have a derelict Safeway sitting there that hadn't been touched in 50 years. And then you can, you know, improve the land utilization by getting rid of parking lots and putting them on top of the buildings, add more shop space, and put some public space and so people can gather and hang out in a way that, you know, because because you're taking space from inside a building and putting it outside a building, so to speak, you're not really generating any revenue on it. So it's a tall order to ask, you know, a property owner whose business is making money off of property to sort of take a big chunk of that out of their income stream and just make it public. But so sort of, I liked that part of it. That was always because they're all in kind of urban infill projects that getting these projects done always involved this sort of non-business public component that was sort of outside the ability of most developers to do because they just didn't have enough land or enough money. And I guess the the other thing that my, my firm does sort of specially and expertly is modular design and construction. And that similarly was, you know, we just sort of fell into that by being open to, uh, the possibilities of another way of thinking about building and thinking about designing buildings. And uh, that's sort of been even more impactful on our career as I mean, the trajectory of the firm. You know, 10 years ago, 80% of our work was in retail, as I've just been describing, and now it's pretty much flipped. We're like 80% or 90% multifamily housing of various stripes, and half of it is modular. It was built in a factory and then shipped to the site, so it's pre-made. Prefabricated, and it's just been a completely different way of thinking so we're always you know i was just i have these uh peer-to-peer mentoring sessions i i have with various colleagues and i was just this uh, woman who runs urban planning partners we were just thinking well, what's next you know if the state of california is going to go bankrupt because trump's not you know re-upping his um contributions from the federal level there's all these cutbacks from the state and how's that going to affect affordable housing what does that mean for me? You know, what does that mean for the state? How, how do we house people, more importantly and broadly, but what does it mean for me, my practice? What do I do? What I, what do I do with my employees if there's if that dries up? So you know, hmm. What do you do with an architecture firm that runs out of that part of work? I don't know if it will run out, but I'm just now thinking about that. What could, what does that mean? So I don't have an answer for that right now. But something will emerge. This is excellent.
1: This is also the modern architect. KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Ken Lowney, architect and founder of Lowney Architecture. For more information, feel free to visit website of LowneyArc.com. That's L-O-W-N-E-Y, Arc.com. Ken, actually, that's a, a segue that I wanted to uh, ask you about is when you work with clients, are you also not just considering the design and the building of their structure, but also the future, as you said, the a re, a revenue generating aspect and the business aspect for them as a client.
2: For sure. I think that might be, I guess it's, you know, I worked for many years for Art Gensler and he has that attitude, which he uh, now he's become a friend of mine. He sort of brought that client side view of things to me. And um, I've been a member of the Urban Land Institute, uh, you know, the product councils for many years. And most of them, me- all the members are non-architects. They're, they're developers, they're financers, things like that. So I just, I, I have the point of view of like, what's the, what is this thing for? Why it's not to commission bounty architecture to design the It's We have a, we have a goal. We have, you know, a business goal, a social goal a housing goal that needs to get accomplished in addition to making a beautiful building that is safe and affordable. I don't know if I answered the question. I think I lost, I lost track of my own Yeah.
1: I, I think a lot of people uh, aren't uh, as aware of that facet of the design process. Is it uh, you, not just the building and the structure, but the building in, its, in effect being a part of your client's business and helping them to grow their business.
2: Yeah. It's each building, each big building, you know, for $4 million, say $10 million or above, it's kind of a miracle that they happen when they're built in cities. It's so hard to do. You know, there's, you know, all these different community groups, there's zoning regulations and building code regulations, there's financing and expensive as hell, hard to build, they take a long time. You know, almost at every point there's more pressure pushing against you to not let it happen that's pushing for you to, to make it happen. And so in that way, every building is a kind of miracle that it's and a great contribution to cities, city building. It's just maybe in the past 10 years can increasingly it used to be fairly easy to get a planning approval or a building permit. And there's a lot more activism amongst, you know, community members, which is good and bad. And there's, you know, I guess for two, after 2008 or 2003, a lot of cities went remote as far as having third-party reviewers hire, you know, review building permits. And uh, it's just the process has become a lot more onerous. So it's just, that's just one little piece. It's just harder, harder to get planning and, and building approval. And um, it's harder to buy sites. It's, you know, they're all taken up. And it's, nowadays it's hard to get loans for, the, for our clients. It's just getting more and more difficult. And, you know, and cost of construction is crazy. You know, it's stopping a lot of projects. It it seems like the COVID pandemic recession is dampening construction costs a little bit. GCs are seeing more subcontractors provide bids, but it's not like it's dropping, not like rents. Rents seem to be dropping precipitously, 15% Mm -hmm. around the Bay Area, but construction costs haven't been doing that so far.
1: Are you able to really turn it off? (laughs) And what I mean by that is because of the the changes in the last, I was going to say the last three to five years, but actually you might just say the last three to five months, are you able to just turn off even work and and the involvement that you have to do to do what you do best, which is architecture, design, and even relating to people on a personal level? Is there more involved now than, say, even half a year ago?
2: (laughs) It's weird working from home because it's, you know, it's when you, when you have an office at home and you leave the office, it's much easier to actually leave the office. But when you're home all the time, then, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to have a, uh, a home office, you know, with a door and a big room and a bathroom. Uh, so I can, I can leave this room and kind of organize my day that way but I don't find it hard. You know, I, I don't really work on the weekends. I try not to. I do sometimes, but usually not. You know, so we work pretty hard in the week. and We have to make sure that we protect our free time so we can, you know, stay in touch with the world and, you know, bring our best selves to work because if you're tired all the time, it's not going to be good for anyone. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny in, in graduate school, there's an ethos of, you know, Long hours, working hard, and that might be good. Although you could argue that it's not in a graduate school situation, but in a professional situation, I don't think it's good. I know there are many firms that still—I won't name names—that they have a culture, they maintain that culture of burning the midnight oil. And but we we always strive to have a good work-life balance. And I think that what that does is people are just—it's not—we're we're highly profitable firms, so it's not affecting that. People just, when, they, uh, when they're when they at work, they're at work, 100% there. When they're not at work, they're with their kids or doing something fun. It just seems more productive and beneficial for everyone, including our clients.
1: How about working with the community? When uh, you have a project that uh, your clients have approached you with that they'd like to do, have you ever... Um, put together a time or a quanti- what's the word people like to say, quantify, I think qualify might be more accurate. The involvement of people to people interface in addition to design and a percentage that's dedicated to the yeah. human, human connection versus just the design
2: part. Yeah. I mean, was it Clauswitz said, you know, war is politics by other means. Yeah. Clausewitz. You yeah. could also say that uh, architecture is politics by other means. And what I mean by that is most significant buildings have a big political dimension. And it's not simply a building. You're changing the landscape of people's lives. And they don't mind that if they go to another country and they see different things. But it's a lot more impactful if their home neighborhood changes right around them. So it's disconcerting. So a lot of these projects affect people intimately just you know, through the obvious traffic, garbage, noise, if you're a bigger project in the neighborhood tends to do that, or maybe bringing the, the quote-unquote wrong kind of people to the neighborhood. All of these uh, have, you know, people in California, in the Bay Area, and in Honolulu, I mean, they, they care about their environment, so they're, they're active, so it has to reflect how they see themselves and they see their community, as well as the project sponsor, who is trying to make the community better and make some income. So it's, uh, it's always political, and, and dealing with people, the neighbors, the users, the people that are going to be reviewing the project, it's all people. It's mostly communication, and uh, 80% communication, 20% engineering.
1: 80-20, wow, that's significant. Pareto. Pareto, yes. <laughs> he brings great <laughs> names, Ken. <laughs> you, really, you really are. Total relevance. <laughs> this is The Modern Architect on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Our public service announcement today is the Alameda County community for, and I'm going to say their website, is ACC fb it's the alameda county community food bank and for over 30 years the alameda county food bank has stood by their unwavering belief that food is a basic human right they distribute millions of healthy meals every year and are at the forefront of new approaches to ending hunger and poverty for more information you can uh, reach them on their website at accfb.org. That's accfb.org. We're talking today with Ken Lowney, architect and founder of Lowney Architecture. For more information, feel free to visit the website at lowneyarch.com. That's lowneyarch.com. Ken, I want to circle back to that building is a miracle. And you're tasked with building that miracle is that just something in your DNA or just part of it is just, Hey, it's your responsibility. I'm curious. And, and I'm sure our audience is curious. What makes you want to be the person responsible for helping to build that miracle?
2: Oh, so it's interesting. Uh, I studied, uh, philosophy as an undergrad and, um, I did it because I thought it was, I loved the world ideas and people would always ask me, what am I going to do? with a degree in philosophy. So my answer was, I'll be a lawyer. But when I, when I graduated, it came back to actually be a lawyer. And I looked more into what a lawyer does is, you know, lawyers are like dentists and there's, there's a lot of them, but not very many happy lawyers and dentists. Right. So I didn't want to do that. And I, so I, I, I just sort of, you know, I, I my father had always, uh, I had these, you know, coaches and sort of, I don't know, aptitude tests and things like this growing up. So what are you actually good at? What are your skills? So I knew that I had an aptitude for architecture. Well, I didn't know. I was told I didn't. Whether it was true or not. <laughs> you to be seen. So I thought architecture is interesting because such a general and wide, it's so large. I can never get to the bottom of it. I guess you could say the same thing about most professions, but I liked the idea of it being so public. It's a. I mean, there isn't It's not art, but there's definitely an aesthetic component to it, and it's in the public's view and use. And so, I like that public engagement. So it has a little bit of. So it involves like what the there's fundamental questions that are involved in every building. You know, let's say it's a multifamily project. What does it mean to dwell in this place? What does it mean to dwell with others in this place? How do you respect others? How do you have a good life in this place? How does you know this project enhance its location? How is it a good neighbor? So there's, you know philosophical questions in every in every building, in every project. And I just I just like the complexity of the issues that come to bear on it. So there's technical ones, you know, just the engineering and and plumbing and and that stuff and acoustics and, and the soft stuff and getting people behind it and excited about what the project means and what it looks like is great. Sometimes you want a building to stand out and, and be uh, a real icon, and sometimes you want your building to be uh, more of a good citizen and fit into its context and support the larger neighborhood. Both are important.
1: How about your uh, – can you describe even the feeling of a project that um – a building may not be fully complete because it's always evolving in the end. But when you have a project and there is a completion and you both you and your clients and the people you work with all look at each other, you know, this is kind of it for this one. We may move on to the next one. Can you describe the feeling of what that's like for you and the people you work with?
2: Yeah, it's better than I thought it would have been when I didn't know what it would feel like. I remember in grad school, a teacher telling me about, how good it would feel to have that experience. And then so, and I didn't realize that I would be involved with such large projects that were so impactful to communities. But it's fantastic. It's really satisfying to see people, to see a project. So, you know, do a good project for our client, do a good project for the community, and keep going on that. And just to, the, personally, it's incredibly gratifying just to. You know, and so my I have an office in Oakland and Honolulu. And it's just great to be driving around either city, and say, oh, I did that." You know, when I say I did that, it's not Ken Lowney sitting drawing. I, mean, I have a staff, 50 architects, and we're very collaborative, collegial, and they, you know, doing, you know, the lion's share of all that work. But I'm responsible for it, and it it is fun. It's super fun. That we. You wonder, because so much of the, sometimes the cities just sort of come background. Like, it's just sort of like mountains. It's just, they've always been there, and they'll always be there. And it's cool to participate in, you know, the, the creation of cities. And it'll be, for a couple more generations, people will be, you know, living and working and playing around these buildings and these environments. That's, yeah, very, It's fun. It's really fun.
1: great to hear. Is, and uh, Kent, is there anything else you'd like to share with uh, your audience today, that we may not have touched on, I'd love to hear it. Because I, I can go on for another hour if we had time, but uh, we're, we're coming to the uh, close. But I would really love to hear, you know, maybe some of your final thoughts, at least for this this episode with us. Because, uh,
2: yeah, I, I would. Um, you know, we we have been doing the same thing for thousands of years, and when I say the same thing, thinking of buildings and building buildings, and you know, maybe since world war ii we've been thinking about prefabrication in all those dimensions and nowadays people are printing buildings and have smart panels and i do a lot of modular buildings and i feel like one of the ways there's the, there's the zoning way to solve the problem we need to get zoning out of the way so we can just get buildings approved we need to come to terms with labor and make sure that we have an equitable settlement because the unions I think are not helping right now. I think they're making buildings too expensive, but we need to make sure that we take care of people that build our buildings and we need to make faster, faster, better. And, you know, building, we literally have not changed much in how we think about buildings in hundreds of years. And we have to change that society's needs and cities' needs. And uh, I'm just hoping that in our lifetime, we keep trying to make things work and they just, they, start and they stumble. They start and they stumble. And it's just a very conservative group of disciplines. You know, the building of buildings and creation of cities and the management and the financing and designing of these things is, you know, I guess there's so much at stake that you have to be conservative and careful. But we should use this moment to be more bold. And uh, because we're being... Society is asking us to, So don't, you know, to... Doctors aren't going to solve this problem. Lawyers aren't going to solve this problem. We can solve this problem. We can be part of solving this problem. And now's the time to take that that up and push it, because there's this opportunities like this don't happen that often where you can change how people think. You know, Scott Wiener is doing a great job at the state level of helping change the legal framework, how buildings get approved, and we need to be changing other parts of the whole all the different players and parts that come to making a building including and maybe most particularly how buildings get designed and built
1: ken it's been a real honor real honor and a pleasure to having you on the show i hope you uh, you consider coming back again sometime soon as a or, thank you to. thank
2: you very much for oh, having absolutely. me it was, really no, it was
1: really terrific you've been listening to the modern architect i'm tom DiOr. our guest today has been Ken Blowney, architect and founder of Blowney Architecture, a multidisciplinary practice headquartered in Oakland, California, offering uh, architectural design, interior design, and landscape architectural services. They're engaged with clients and projects in the commercial, civic, academic, and housing sectors. Lowney Architecture is uh, considered one of the fastest growing practices in the East Bay and ranks among the San Francisco Business Times top firms in Northern California. You can find them on their website at lowneyarch.com. Again, that's lowneyarch.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives.
0: Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect.